Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. It's Anita Rani. Now, a couple of years ago, I made an incredible documentary about a place in Jordan called Zatari. It's a huge refugee camp with 80,000 Syrian refugees living there. It was the most humbling, sad and inspiring places I've ever been to. You need to watch the documentary if you haven't seen it. Basically, cut a long story short, because of that, I'm quite involved with the UNHCR and the plight of refugees. So I really wanted to interview a refugee for my podcast. I met this incredible young girl at an event called Maya Ghazal. She's 18 years old. She came to this country at the age of 14 and no schools would take her, even though she was one of the brightest girls in her very middle-class world in Syria. But in this country, none of that mattered. She went from school to school to school until finally she met somebody who realised her potential. Now she's studying aeronautical engineering, she wants to be a pilot for the RAF, and she's going to make you look at your own 18-year-old daughters and question what they're up to watching Netflix non-stop. <laughs> Please enjoy it. She's incredible. And, you know, just, just see the beauty in basically being a human being and being able to fulfill your potential because her story is so harrowing in so many ways but also so uplifting I'm in the UNHCR which is very exciting and uh, they've given us a, a very well a quite well, it's not that fancy, actually. It's just a, it's just an office, a meeting room with a nice fireplace and a map of the world. And I'm joined by the woman I'm here to see, Maya. Maya, how do I say your surname? Ghazal. Ghazal. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, that was so correct. <laughs> what does Ghazal mean? Uh, it means deer. <laughs> deer? Yeah. As in my deer? Or as in the animal, a deer? No, as in the animal. But yeah, my dad used it in Arabic as the my dear thingy so ah yeah. well guzzle in hindi means it's a beautiful it's a type of song a guzzle oh. and uh, it's uh, one of my favorite types of indian oh, music okay. it's like poetry set to um, classical music oh, um, okay yeah, so well that the, what you just say like it's also a type of poems in arabic so like they say it to talk about how beautiful their partner is and how they love partner oh so it's an arabic word then it must be the yeah. same word guzzle because yeah, it because yeah. the the songs i'm talking about guzzles they are 
deeply, deeply romantic poems. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's that's the one, yeah. Okay, well, we're not here to talk about romantic poems or what guzzle means, <laughs> even though I'm very interested. We're here to talk about you and how remarkable you are. I met you briefly just before Christmas at the Ai Weiwei refugee yeah. film launch. And I met you really briefly because you were a superstar that night and everybody wanted to talk to you. But I knew I'd get my time with you. So, Maya, I just want you to tell me about your life. You are 18 years old and you are Syrian. Tell me when you came to the UK. I came to the UK in 2015. I was just 16 years old. I left Syria when I was 15. And uh, we spent like we spent like about 40 days in Turkey with my grandparents from my mom's side and then we came to the UK and um, that's when my life just changed and everything like began and so so uh, and that there's a lot to unpack there so let me tell let's first start by um which part of Syria did you live in where did you live where did you grow up um uh, I'm from Damascus Syria the capital and I grew up there and the neighborhood which uh, we used to live at was filled of family members so like we were uh like um from my mom's side like her cousins and her uh aunts and everyone lived in that neighborhood and yeah we created we were a very big family and especially like everyone had like very big homes so like each weekend we used to like we go to someone's home and everyone brings food and all yeah I had I had loads of cousins cousins great cousins and great aunts can you count how many members how many how big is this family um, so my mom had, um, three sisters, each with three children and we were in similar in age. So like my cousin is the same age as mine and my brother, uh, and I have two cousins who are the same age as my brother and then two cousins, the same age as my little, my youngest brother. Was it a lot of fun? It was a lot of fun. Like so- Describe what, what kind of, describe Damascus to me, I just, uh, on your life and what kind of life it was like, and just give me a, a day in the life of of uh, Maya in Damascus growing up. What, what kind of place was it? So, it was that kind of place where it was, it wasn't very big, it, it, so it's all quite modern. It was it was quite modern. Also, you could find places where you feel, you see traditional stuff, and like it had varieties of places where, like, sometimes you just wanted to go to a cafe with your friends, have a bit of drink, or like maybe like just talk around, or you want to go to shopping centers, big ones with different food destinations, or you just want to walk around traditional places, get very old rings and and bags handmade stuff so so a day in my life in Damascus was was it depends on the day so basically on Thursdays I go with that group of friends from my school and then on Saturdays I go with another group of friends who are mostly all boys and then on Sundays I go to another group of like uh, with another group of people my life was very filled of just going out and spending money (laughs) that what it was like who who provided the money did you have a part-time job or was this dad's money no that was dad's money dad's money of course it's dad's money um good looking boys um yeah you can say so (laughs) 
Because um, obviously, I mean, that sounds it sounds like a normal teenage life. Yeah. Right? It sounds like a happy teenage life. It, so, it was very normal. It was very ordinary. Just different groups of friends going out and uh, family. And that's all what I did. It wasn't anything special. Well, and then what happened? So tell me what happened when the war broke out. How did all of that change? Um, so I was, I was on sixth grade. And so how old were you? I was... I think 12. Okay. Yeah, I think I was 12. Yeah, I was 12 and my yeah, my brother was one. Yeah, I remember that because it was like he lived only one year in Syria with no war and then the war broke. So he was one year old and I was 12. And um, we were, I remember when it started, uh, we were in school and we were like all standing when we say the national anthem, like every uh, Thursday. And we were just had, a, we had a chat with my friend and we were like, oh my God, did you hear what happened? Do you think that will happen anymore? And we just take it easy, like nothing happened. Okay, that happened. It will stop. We We never thought that it will get that big. And then uh, stuff happened like get worse and worse and electricity got cut out and we we like we had to buy a generator and then to, we had to buy another generator to like to provide us full electricity for our home and then fuel couldn't be like you couldn't like we couldn't get fuel very easily and it was getting very expensive and everything was getting very expensive and what did your dad do in syria what were, what was what were your parents jobs um so my mom was a photographer and uh, my dad had um uh, a small um a small shop in uh, like in the very in the center of of damascus it's like a traditional place with the yeah it's like a traditional place and he had also a manufacturer like uh to he was like a tailor to make yeah to make uh clothes traditional clothes you had quite a comfortable life yes yes i can say i can say that we used to go out every friday with my dad's family and we go to one of the like the expensive places in syria and in damascus and then we every like friday night we go to that very expensive shop that had uh like sneakers and twigs and lion and stuff we don't have like in central Damascus all the imported stuff so so yeah. when this happened and you started losing your electricity that's what I'm trying to see that's why you could afford to get a generator yeah it's like uh yeah that's how it happened the first one we shared it with my uncle because my uncle lived in the same floor as ours so uh because we needed a big one and he had a big one and then we, uh, my dad and him, they both shared the costs for the fuel and everything. So how bad did, what, just how quickly did things escalate? So you, you lose electricity, generator one, yeah. generator two, then what happened? And then no water. And then that was another story because my mom had to go up to the water, um, uh, uh, like to where they're, yeah, to the water reservoirs and then to check the water level and if we could afford someone to take a shower or not. And it was winter and uh, we didn't have uh, radiators in our home. Even if we had, it's, they would be useless because there was no electricity and we can't like uh, turn on the radiators without electricity or in the generator. So we had like from this old... Uh, um, stuff that you put fuel on and then you turn on the match and uh, and it's fire and then from the fire you get heat. Yeah, it was very, it was very old. And do you remember? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember the kind of 
what your parents were going through. What do you remember of that time, seeing your mum and dad? And the fact that your mum, for the first time in her life, is now having to go to collect water. Yeah. You know, that there's there's no heating for the children. I mean, what was it? Yeah. Can you can you remember? Did you... Do, did, yeah, do you, my mum still talks about it, how she was... She was feeling like it's something that she couldn't control. And my mom hates when something she can't control. And especially it's regarding to my, like, at least my younger brother. He didn't really live his life in the beginning. Like, and we couldn't, they couldn't provide him with the stuff as they provided us with when we were his age. He he came to Damascus in a wartime. So she felt very sorry for him. And like, she still try still now to like to recover for him and like tell him how Damascus was it's not what he what he saw and um, it was of course very stressful like with my dad going to central Damascus and it was very it was very dangerous it was risky and my mom going to work well it was something good that her work was very near for uh, from our home and she used to like sh- yeah she used to work with my aunt so we could like, yeah, we could reach them both. So, what about um, going to school? Because you're you're a tw- you were twelve when war broke out. So, uh, were you still able to go to school? Well, yeah, because I was twelve. That's true, but uh, it didn't broke out in Damascus in the beginning. It took too long until it reached Damascus. I was in, or no, it was just one year after. <laughs> yeah, well, I was in grade uh, in seventh grade when. Um, uh, when it started coming to Damascus and getting more involved. And uh, I remember I missed loads of days in school. And uh, I, my mom, uh, like, enrolled me in the school because it was good. It was near and then it was good. So that's, these are the specifications that she looked for in going to school. And um, it was, it was very risky and dangerous. I did, I wasn't able to go every day and some days they just text us and just say, well, the school is closed or it's so surrounded by army. So, so we couldn't really reach the school. And uh, yeah, sometimes we just leave half time. So. so at what point, so when did somebody make the decision that it was time to leave? I mean, time to leave the, the only home you've ever known. Well, um, I think when I, yeah, the, the year after in eighth grade, my my mom had to change the school for me and I went to a further school. It was like further from our home, but that place was known, that location was known to be safe because it was surrounded by like the government army. So, so it was supposed to be safe. And uh, my dad, um, uh, my dad, the uh, factory, like, um, was kind of lost and dropped so he didn't have a point where he could like tailor and make clothes anymore what happened to the factory um because the factory wasn't in damascus it was in the suburbs of damascus so it was bombed and then it was stolen from robbed and yeah it, yeah. it was bombed yeah it's it's not like because of the factory itself but the area was bombed because like these suburbs of damascus were very filled of the against the yeah against the army so so your dad had lost his 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 place he's yeah. he'd lost his business basically because it it was bombed and it what well, the soldiers had moved in and it'd been taken over so what 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 so do you remember a conversation that took place yeah. between your parents i remember um so basically that factory wasn't only my dad's it was also my uncle's it was my grand 
dad's factory in the beginning and then because my dad uh, my granddad passed away so like all my uncles now they were it's the family business yeah it's the family business not all of them but yeah like my dad bought from my other uncles so he got the yeah the stuff so yeah i remember uh, not affording really to go with the car and then the car was uh, wasn't like uh, we we did have a car, but then we didn't like we couldn't afford that many fuel, and especially with the generators and fixing them, and then the water, and then we had to buy a special um, pump for for the water to reach our house because we were in the seventh floor, so it was high up, and the water didn't reach, and then we had to buy a pump to reach the water, and the water wasn't clean, and then we had to travel to get clean water yeah it was it was very messy so my dad eventually said uh, my my aunt my dad's uh, my dad's sister um she went to egypt with uh, her husband went and then he she went as well uh, at that time Egypt didn't need a visa for syrians and then my dad said, well, I will go up there and I will try if I can find a job. Or like my uh, my aunt's husband told my dad that you can find a job for yourself. So he decided to go to Egypt. Yeah. It was the safest in the beginning. And because my aunt was there, so he thought that we oh, won't be. Somebody. Yeah. And uh, my dad is not only a tailor, but he's also an electrician. And he is a handyman. Yeah. He can paint and do loads of stuff. So he went there. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he went there to Egypt, and um, and he said that the place wasn't suitable suitable for us to go there, like because he knew he knew us and how how he was really working hard to keep us on the constant providing for us. Yeah, so you've, you're used to a certain sort of lifestyle, yeah. a certain standard of living. So maybe your dad thought this isn't the place. Yeah. Yeah. So we, when did he decide to come to the UK? Um, so uh, he returned back to Syria and um, he was like, well, I will try again and I'll try to get like other factories to provide the shop. And so uh, that didn't work quite well because, as you said, uh, we, use, we used to have like a different lifestyle. And, and because my dad, uh, he used to work in Saudi Arabia before and he used to work in Qatar and then in, in USA. Like he traveled to loads of places just to provide us with... Not the best home, but just, but just the best standards of livings. And he always wanted us to feel like we're special. And Of course, because he's your yeah, dad. Yeah, he's yeah. providing for his family. Yeah. So when did he decide that the UK was where he should try? Um, and how did he get here? In ninth grade, um, that's when I did my GCSEs. Um, uh, he was discussing with one of his friends. One of his friends was in Sweden, and they used to talk a lot of Skype on Skype on Skype. And uh, I used to join the chat because I was so excited. I needed to know, and um, it, it, that friend kept persuading him to tell him like and letting him know that Sweden is a very good country and he needs to go there and like they provide good stuff for Syrians and you can like provide for your family and then his friend got his family to there and my dad looked and he was like oh his family are living happily and they have they don't have to worry about the stuff anymore and uh, 
uh, I know it was hard for my parents to send us to school and to provide us with, like, just to keep us in track with our normal... Or safe. Yeah. I mean, you'd lost everything. Your dad lost the business, you'd lost electricity, you'd lost water, you couldn't go to school. It, it was very hard and uh, it was risky and dangerous and the area where we used to live at it wasn't the safest we always like faced risks of bombings and so how did you how did your dad get to the UK so basically he was supposed to go to Sweden um that what I knew but then uh, he was like no I won't and then he started discussing with my uncle the one living in the same floor and they both said that they will go to Turkey and they will try again for like living for us we didn't know that how stuff were happening or how it will happen he didn't tell us um i wasn't that much informed and um like one day he just left to turkey and even my uncle didn't go with him my so your dad just upped and left yeah go to turkey did he get to turkey he did because it didn't need a visa at that time and uh, my uncle stayed he and was... then how did he get from turkey to the uk so then recently i knew the the full story um he went to turkey and then from turkey to greek greece, yeah. greece yeah walking i think walking it's either walking or by the boat I, I i'm not quite sure because i remember like days he doesn't answer on his fiber days he just not online on his phone he would have gone by boat i think from turkey to to greece no uh yeah probably I think I think so. You're not sure. So you're not yeah, sure. I'm not sure because the and then he eventually got to so from Turkey got to Greece. Yeah, and then from, and then uh, he told me that he was like in contact with smugglers and so and to get him to Sweden, that was the plan eventually. But then he ended up in the UK. <laughs> so he didn't quite make it to Sweden. No. <laughs> It's very cold in Sweden. Yeah, he changed. They changed the direction. It's fine. <laughs> it's very, very cold. They're very good looking, and they've yeah. got a very good dress sense. But it's very cold. It's very cold and very hard language. Yeah, very hard language. Yeah, exactly. So your your dad went through this epic journey, made it to the UK. Yeah. You, your little brother, your mum, you're still and other brother and other brother. You're still in Damascus. Yeah. So how did you get here? Um, so basically, I want to get to your story. Like this is a like there's so much to talk about. But actually, you when yeah. the the point about when you get to the UK and the, what you've done in your own your young so, life is amazing. Um, so uh, at that time, I was doing my GCSEs. I was saying, and uh, my dad was in the UK when I was doing my GCSEs to final exam. And I kept telling my mom, my mom, I'm not going to do my GCC. It's why I'm studying. It's either the world will end or we will go to my dad. Why do you need so? And why either, either the world's going to end or we'll go to yeah, see dad. So yeah. I don't need to sit my exams. I've heard, of, I've heard of a lot of excuses to try and get out of exams. But that one I've never heard before. But you were in a very um, unusual situation. Yeah, my, my mom kept telling me that, no, you will do them. And no, you will do them. And it will take long to go to your dad. And our visa will take too long. So you have to study for them and I did study for them and um I I got very pretty good grades I I liked my grades I would like as what think, did you get um in Arabic I think I got C yeah, but, yeah. that's that's great considering you were working through a war yeah studying through a war and uh, well in maths I got a star and in science I get a star and in English I got a star in French I got 
I think a B because uh, you smashed your exams. <laughs> you smashed your exams. Well, well, we know you're. We know you're incredibly bright. We know that, and I'll tell you. And the, I know why you're incredibly bright, <laughs> but the, everyone else doesn't know yet because we haven't told them your story. So you got your visas. You got visas to come to the UK. Yeah. Um, and then how old were you when you got here? Um, so basically, the visa story is very long. Short, so long. Give me the sh- give me the short version. Yeah. We went to Lebanon first time uh, to get to give our passports, and then apparently the lawyer in the UK sent us wrong. No, he filled the paper. He, he sent us correct papers, but he filled them in the wrong way. So he filled the location wrong. So he was like Beirut, Syria, not Beirut, Lebanon. And when we get to the embassy in Lebanon, in Beirut, they were like, well, they're not accepted. And you've been... What a nightmare. Yeah, I know. It was it was very bad. And so then did you have to come back to Syria? Yeah, we returned back to Syria. And then, and then reapply. And reapply. And my dad had to pay the, to the lawyer twice. Ugh. And then, he yeah. sounds dodgy. Ugh, yeah, I know. And then we had to return back to Lebanon and give them the passports again. And I think the risky thing about all of this is because it was snowing at that time. And we went by car, like a driver drove us. And it was very expensive at that time. It was snowy and we had like to go at night, like at 3 a.m. in order for us to catch the appointment. And then the second appointment, we missed it because on the borders, on the Lebanese borders, they didn't let us in even though that we had the appointment and papers and everything was legal and we were like, we don't want to stay there. We just... Do you realize you need to turn this into a book? You need to write this story. Um, but so in the end, did you get your visa and did you, did you fly to London? To get our visas in the end, we went to Lebanon again. My uncle drove us and then we went from Lebanon to Turkey so my mom could see her grandparents. And um, my dad uh, was applying for Red Cross to get for our expenses for to fly. We would have, we would have like... Uh, both like paid for the expenses but because we moved all our house my mom took her my mom took her like everything like she took um what was it? she took like literally everything everything including the kitchen sink yeah you know that phrase yeah, right that's what i was going to say everything including the kitchen sink she didn't miss anything and we... where did she take it all why or where where where, where did she t- with you in the car yeah in the car and in turkey to Turkey, no, in the car to Lebanon, and then from Lebanon uh, in the plane to Turkey. So we paid for extra weight because my mom didn't want to leave anything. Of course. And then from Turkey, you... And then from Turkey, we stayed uh, like 40 days. And then flew? And then flew to Birmingham. So like I got my 16th birthday in Turkey. And then, uh, and then yeah, 20 days later... I went to Birmingham. It was 27th of April. What did you think of Birmingham when you landed? So when we landed, it wasn't something that very was fluently because uh, we stayed in the airport for an hour. They took our passwords and then they took us and they got our stuff and they started asking us questions and if you're truly Syrians. And then I broke down and I started crying and I'm like, am I not going to see my dad and are you going to send me back? And uh, they used every... English word, which I had <laughs> these two, like they're. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now. Get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep grand Cherokee overland four by E or summit four by E. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. They weren't cops. They weren't cops. They were, they were something else. I think airport security. And yeah, they literally just used every single English word, which I knew. And I ended up like, I, can't, I don't know anymore. I don't want to see my dad. So eventually they let us see my dad. So at first they didn't believe that you were Syrian. No, they, they, were, they questioned us and questioned our story in my dad's factory. And where was it? And we had to explain with our very little English. Especially because I was out of school for like 40 days. So how much English did you have when you were 16? You've yeah. landed in Birmingham. Um, I had very little because it's true that I learned in in school, but then I still don't know if it was American or British English, and I, I'm not sure that they corrected the mistakes. You're considering you have been in the country for two years. Your English is amazing because this is the point of your story, which is what makes made me think I've got to talk to you. Is that when you got here at sixteen? It was really difficult for you to get into school, wasn't it? So tell me about that. So um, I had my GCSEs from Syria, which you say that I smashed, you smashed it. You smashed yeah. them. A stars, smashed <laughs> them. A C in Arabic, but don't worry about that. <laughs> so I actually, like, I had them and they were translated to English because my mom said, well, they need to look at something. And I tried first school and they were like, what were those? And I'm like, these are my GCSE, like full book in one month like in one week exams and they were like well we're not sure what do you want to do and I'm like I want to do political science and then they looked and he was like oh well that's a bit hard you have to choose five uh, five subjects you know and I'm like five subjects and I didn't know what five subjects I did 12 in Syria I'm like oh my god five subjects so this is for your a-levels yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that was for a-levels I'm like well I, they asked me for my GCSEs and I give them my GCSEs from English, uh, from Syria. I didn't know what were GCSEs. And they were like, well, we will think about it and we will. So how many schools turned you away? Four. Four schools. And uh, college. And uh, yeah, college was our last choice. My mom wanted me to carry on in school because I was just 16 and she knows that I'm very childish. So I need a school. So, uh, when- so four schools and a college said no because they what they didn't think that you could why why did they say no um so one of them said we're very sorry they posted me after i think two months they were like we're very sorry and um uh but we're not sure about your uh, like uh about your qualifications and they won't meet our standards so who took you in because obviously someone somebody did take you somebody did take me in after like very rejections and I was like I just need like if you could taste test me and check my qualifications check that check that I know something and like other schools they were like just go and see your council that was the meanest and uh yeah and college didn't answer somebody took you in yeah eventually um by our um how it happened by our social service person who used to come to our home and check on my brothers how they're doing in school and my mom and dad how they're doing in college and me doing nothing eventually she was like well we will try a learning center for you and i stayed there i think for two weeks because it was in the end it was i think it was in the end of july 
in August-ish. So it was like the summer. Yeah. yeah, it was summer, even though that I was in England from April. And uh, so, yeah, that what happened. And then I stayed there for two weeks and uh, I met um, a very nice uh, girl. And she was like, well, you need to do your uh, GCSEs. And there is a nice college my sister goes to and they understand people. So she told me that and she was like, I will you can do- go to an open day. And I was very excited. I'm like, an open day? What was an open day? I had no idea what is an open day. And I took my two little brothers and my mom and dad, and we were fasting. And I was so excited. I'm like, let's go and see the college. And because we were just new in Birmingham, so it was quite far. It was like 20 minutes away. And we thought that it was very far. I'm like, I hope that this college will be worth it. And it was very big. And I went there. And um, I was very tired and um, I spoke to the teacher directly. I didn't speak to some kind of advisor or principal or someone who doesn't know students. I spoke to the teacher. Yeah, I spoke to the teacher directly and I told him that, well, I have nothing to do and I just want to study and I want to learn. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I told him. I told him, like, I I want to work hard and I'm very free and I have nothing to do just to study. I told him that, uh, of course, not the same grammar, not the same accent, but yeah, I, I did manage to give him this idea. You managed idea. to communicate. Yeah. You come across as a very, very good communicator. I can imagine that you managed to get your point across. And did the teacher listen? He did listen. What's his name? Uh, his name is Robert Butler. Robert Butler. Do we love Robert Butler? We do. <laughs> Robert Butler, you're awesome. And Robert Butler said, yeah, come. Yeah, he was like, well, we will give you an exam. And from there, we will say which level you could be in. Okay, so that was two years ago. Yeah. You joined this college. Yeah. And now, let's let's get to only two years. Just remember, let, let that sink in. Mm-hmm. Maya has been in the country for two years. She came here at 16. The way you got here, remarkable, horrible story. Really horrific thing that you've gone yes. through. Very positive. Very positive. Very happy story. It is a great story. Um, and now, what are you doing now? Now? Yes. Okay. So now uh, I speak with the UNHCR, the first thing I say. Well, what are you studying? Um, oh, okay. What well, I'm studying? I'm studying aviation engineering with pilot studies in Brunel University. Okay, let me repeat that. Aviation engineering with pilot studies at Brunel University. Can we just have a high five? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Two years ago, four schools and a college rejected you because they didn't think that you'd be able to study. And now you're studying this in engineering degree at Brunel University. Yeah, my mom told me to get the acceptance letter and to go to these four schools and tell them, you see what you missed. <laughs> uh, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You must, what, I mean, do you think about, how, have you worked so hard in the last two years? Or I mean, tell me about um, how hard you've worked to get to it. Well, of course, the first year for me, like, and the la- like two years ago when I first started college and I did that engineering course and I did three GCSEs and uh, English GCSE, even though that my teacher, he was like, well, I don't think, not Robert Butler. He, he believed in me. He helped me to go into English GCSE. But like some teachers, they were like doubting me and they were like, well, we don't think you can do English GCSE. It's too high for you. I know I didn't pass from the first time, but I needed to learn. I like, I didn't pass for a reason. I messed up questions and sources. I would have passed. I took a B in my mock exam. So, so um, I, I really, I think I, I really did work hard in, in the first year. English language and uh, the whole English barrier 
and the engineering part and everything was in English. I was, I never like got to that point, like where everything is literally in English. Yes. It was so funny, actually, that even like that there was a language barrier. I had a very small notebook and every new word which I heard, I wrote it, but in Arabic letters. So even though that I didn't know how to pronounce the word, how to spell it, what does it mean? Uh, my, my, I stood up and I asked questions and it was so funny. I, I still can remember that on the first day I wanted to ask questions like what were assignments, but I didn't know how to pronounce assignments. So I held up my small notebook and I'm like, assignment and everyone's listening i'm like yeah what was that <laughs> and good on you good on you to just get up and say you know what i don't know but i want to know so i'm going to ask the questions i think most people would just sit back yeah so that's what i'm trying to persuade you're, oh, for- you're a force that's- you're a force you did not take no for an answer uh, yeah, I think that I didn't. That's what I tried to persuade all my friends that, well, if you didn't speak up, if you didn't try and spoke what you know, you won't know what do you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really assess yourself and see what you need to improve. And there are good people who are willing to help. Even if four co- schools and a college back said no, good old Robert Butler <laughs> said yes. yes. So you say so yes. only take This is what I say all the time, right? If you're applying for a job or you're doing whatever, just go for it. It's a numbers game because you only need one person to say yes. Yeah, you only That's need it. one person to give you hope. Give you the chance. And he did. He he. So why are you studying um, engineering? What do you want to do? Uh, aviation engineering. <laughs> so basically, I will get uh, my pilot license uh, years from now. Yeah, I think two years or three years from now. And uh, I won't work in the airport probably and mr robert butler who was so excited when i got accepted in brunel he was like you should go for it but he didn't want like from he didn't give me that he didn't just tell me go to brunel he wanted me to think about it and to really see like well i see myself there and i I wanted to do medical engineering in the beginning in the beginning of my engineering course. And uh, he 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 supported me for that. But then when I had the idea for aviation engineering, he was like, well, yeah, you can you can embrace it in here. And uh, like most of the times I'm like, I tell him that, oh, I should have done political science and I missed not doing that. And he was like, you can do it as a hobby. like he- Which you are. Yeah. I mean, you're very political <laughs> because we know you've done something remarkable recently as well. You went to parliament because you want to be a pilot, right? You yeah. want to be a pilot. That's, I mean, amazing. <laughs> Who doesn't want to fly? I, I mean, fly high in the sky. Yes. Soar, soar, Maya. Just get up there and <laughs> go as high, as high as you can. Because um, you are, your politics has become your hobby because you went to yeah. parliament recently. Yeah, like just when everyone is listening to you talking, going, this girl is so inspiring and she's only 18. Yeah. But it on the parliament day she was there tell us tell us what you did because i mean i know that you went to parliament but <laughs> no one listening knows tell me what happened what why why did you go to parliament what you made a speech in parliament didn't you yeah i did and that speech was so amazing because i embraced it like i didn't have a paper i didn't write anything down and i felt very proud of myself on that day um it was like a session to discuss about family visa reunion and how much it's important. And I wanted to speak up about my own experience regarding expenses or like the lawyer stuff or like the borders in Lebanon. There is no cooperation between the, the embassy in there and the borders. So it was very hard. And like, I know other also difficult stories of people who couldn't bring their parents 
even thought that there were child refugees, but they couldn't. And like, so you want you you went to Parliament to talk about uniting families, refugee families who have half of their family in one place, half in another, to yeah. bring them together. Because it's something very important. Because without the support of my family, I, I it would have been very, very, very hard for me to reach anything that I've reached now. Like now they moved from Birmingham to London just for them, for us to stay in one house and for mom, as she said, to cook and do my laundry and just look after me. That she wants, because it's family support. And the person who's in a different country already left and already left their home country and their home and their friends and everything. And like, it's just the least that they can have is their family with them. Do you feel like you've been like, what's your experience been in the UK so far? I know you were turned down from all these schools and there's a lot of talk at the moment. I mean, we, you know, we, we've, I think the UK has taken 10,000 yeah. Syrian refugees. There are 5 million around the world. So you are a 5 million displaced at the moment. And for such a wealthy country, we've taken 10,000. Do you feel welcomed here? Do you do you feel like you can make this place a home? How, how do you feel about being here? Do you want to go back to Syria? What's what's going on with you? Um, so I feel very welcomed in here. And um, I feel like I'm lucky that I got here. And I'm lucky also. I feel like I'm very lucky comparing to other people. And that's why I feel like I'm advantaged. And I think I need to speak up about other people who feel like very sad or hopeless or they just want someone to help or someone to give them hope i think um how do you feel about syria though you know this is the this is your your country that is now you know you've had to leave your parents um it's still in a terrible situation um it's it's very sad it's very um it had happy memories and I still remember my friend's birthday was yesterday and I saw that most of my cousins and all my friends they were all together and they were celebrating and I felt bad that I wasn't in there I felt like I'm missing something but then I looked at what I have and I wish they can have the same that's all I can say I, I can't share it all with them because eventually I knew what they I know what they're facing and what they're, how they're living and the like how standards they're under so regarding living in the UK it it is my new home I think it is my new home like I'm building myself in here and I changed a lot since I became I, I arrived to the UK. I arrived, I was 16. I was still a child. I was just 16. I was still a child. So I love that you keep saying that. I was still a child. It was two years ago. You're 18. <laughs> I mean, you're a young woman. Absolutely. But it's only, you've only been here two years. I'm so excited because you've done so much in two years. You've mastered a new language. You've studied your socks off. You've got into university. You're doing this great engineering degree. You're learning to be a pilot in two years, can I, you've gone to Parliament, you're, you're twice. twice, to encourage um, our leaders to think about uniting families, so you're being very political as well, you waste no time. My goodness, if you can do that in two years, what are you going to achieve in the rest of your life, Maya? I met their Royal Highnesses as well. Oh, hang on a minute, yeah. royalty as well? Yeah. Oh no, you've not met Meghan Markle, have you? No, I'd love to meet her. I'd love to meet her. Okay, one day. One I like, day. I'm going to podcast Megan one day. Harry. You liked Harry? Oh, no, Harry's off the market. 
I know, heart's breaking all over the world. I know. I know. It's Everyone loves it's Harry. A ginger oh, he's beaut. He's a beaut. Yeah, yeah everyone loves Harry. And like he's he's a pilot as well. He's in the, the Royal Air Force. Yeah, Royal Air Force. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of my aspiration to go to. Have you seen Top Gun, the film? No. I know you haven't. Of course you haven't, but watch it. If you're into pilots and you like a man who can fly a plane, okay. then watch Top Gun. Okay, Top Gun, Top next Gun. watching list. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Get Top Gun out, watch it with your mates at uni, and then get back in touch with me and tell me... You didn't love it. You didn't love it. Um, so we'll what, what's the future hold? What are you excited about now? Um, I'm excited about working more with the UNHCR. I am excited with work, the opportunities which I'm receiving from the Diana Award organization. I'm excited to keep also spreading um, the message of a charity called the Children's Society because they took me in at the beginning and they're who developed my speaking skills in July 2015. I, I used to go to one of their like youth clubs for refugees and migrants. I like I didn't go that much, but then they took me as a speaker and they trained me and they gave me opportunities and they nominated me for the Diana Award and Diana Award introduced me to the UNHCR and everything is connected and they started it so I feel like you're going to give so much back to society I feel you've got so much to give you're you're an inspiration and you're a role model and you're so young you really are you've inspired me today I feel like so lucky I feel I feel like I'm old I'm getting old mate you're not old let me tell you you're not old i mean listen we're all gonna get old that's inevitable it's what you do with your time right 19 soon when are you 19 amazing yeah don't worry listen don't worry about getting up look here you are the most positive person you're worrying about getting that turning 19 it's almost embarrassing you've got someone much older than you sitting here don't worry you've got nothing to worry about you've got the world at your feet you really have. I'm, I'm very looking forward to the future. Uh, I think um, 2017 was a very great year for me. Become, coming to the UK was a very great, a huge chance and opportunity that I got. And my dad and my parents, they everyone sacrificed a lot for us to reach here. And I'm very grateful for everyone, for all the supporters. And that's how I want to give back that, well, I'm... I'm helping the community as well as some people did help. It it doesn't take that much of great work or great effort. Like me, like me getting, like, for example, recognized or someone smiling at me or telling me that I did a great job or like, oh my God, you're so young to do all of that. That just made me think, well, I need to do more and I don't want to get old. I, I want to do more. And, and that's, and I think that's one of the things that I also, I, I don't want just to give back to the community, but I want to tell other refugees, and not only refugees, migrants, newly arrived in the country, everyone who thinks they're so hopeless and they have nothing to do, or like all the doors are closed, that there will be a chance, there will be a saving guard for you one You'll day. find your Robert Butler. There'll be yeah. a Robert Butler for everybody. There'll be a Robert Butler for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maya, I have... I cannot tell you how much I've loved talking to you. You've utterly inspired me. You're, you are a role model for young women you. all around the world and in the UK. Um, you have done this podcast. I am now going to officially crown you a Rani's Rani. My name is Rani. Rani means queen. So you are a Rani's Rani. You join, you're, very, you're joining a very elite group of women. Great. And men. There will be Rani's Rani's who are men. Um, is there a favourite song that you have that you listen to a lot? Have you got... Um, well... 
a song that I listen yes. to a lot. Um, when you were in Syria, were you into pop music or? Um, so when I was in Syria, I used to listen to English music. Yeah. Who did you love? Um, well, Bieber. You can't count on what I was in Syria because I was like very childish. And okay. I, yeah, uh, like, Robert, what are you listening to now? Then give so me a song. Now I listen to very random songs. I like blues and I love. Yeah, I play the guitar, so I, I I like these stuff. Of course, you play the guitar. When do you have time to learn to play the guitar as well? And I'm learning Russian and French. And she's learning Russian and French. I feel like the most inadequate person <laughs> on earth right now. Oh my god, I want to get out, I want to get out there and do something remarkable. I like the word adequate. I heard it first in Jane Austen's stuff. And yeah. adequate, yeah. or I I just said inad. I feel inadequate. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. It's, you like yeah. the word adequate? Yeah. yeah, it's a good word. It is a good word, and I like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Very good. And nincompoop. I didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> I love the word nincompoop. Uh, means you're an idiot. Not, okay. not you. I mean, oh, you yeah. can use it. You can use gobbledygook. Gobbledygook, yeah, yeah when someone's talking nonsense. Yeah. Oh, you're learning all the good stuff. I am learning the good stuff. I'm Googling them. <laughs> and flibbity-gibbet. Flibbity-gibbet. I, I read it's, this. Thing. It's a Yorkshire phrase. I think it means somebody who talks a lot, because I'm a flibbity-gibbet. I, I think, think and I you're, flibbity-gibbet. You're, 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 yeah, flibbity-gibbet. It's Flibbity gibbet. I am Perfect. Flibbity You are a flibbity gibbet. I'm a flibbity gibbet. You're also a Rani's Rani. I utterly adore you. More power to you. Go forth, conquer the world, and, you know, just inspire wherever you go. Shine wherever you go. Come on, hug it out. Let's do this. Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you.